0: It can be so easy to get wrapped up in the musical side of songwriting, concerning ourselves with things like music theory, which, of course, I do think is super important in music composition. But sometimes I think it's easy to lose sight of the fact that we also are poets. We also need to learn literary concepts as well, especially if we want to have some truly great, memorable lyrics so in this episode, we're gonna talk about three powerful literary concepts to help us write better lyrics. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host as always, Joseph Adella Honored that you would take some time out of your busy day to talk songwriting with me. Honored that you would choose a songwriting podcast Uh, rather than an entertaining podcast. I uh, certainly hope this is also entertaining, but it's certainly not primarily the goal of the podcast. Of course, we're talking about learning songwriting. It's an education podcast, first and foremost. I don't know what forced is or whatever the heck I just said, but first and foremost, of course, our goal here is to learn music and songwriting and all things connected to songwriting, which, of course, Uh, Probably means that it's not as entertaining as, I don't know, listening to the latest Joe Rogan podcast or Bill Burr's Monday Morning Podcast or whatever it is that you might choose to listen to. Otherwise, glad that songwriting is important enough to you that you're here talking songwriting with me. If you haven't already, be sure to grab my six-step lyric writing checklist. We're talking about lyrics today. And I think the foundational thing we need to understand for lyric writing is really the process of writing lyrics And this six step lyric writing checklist is at least what has worked really well for me for repeatedly making lyrics that I can actually feel proud of. Used to feel like it was kind of just like uh, random whether the lyrics that I finished were actually good or not. Uh, And this process has helped to make it much more a repeatable process, uh, but doesn't actually sacrifice creativity, it just breaks it up into different steps rather than looking at a blank page and saying, hey, let's write super insightful deep lyrics, which is largely unrealistic and usually does not work that way. You have to do some pre-writing work, and then you have to actually understand how to edit lyrics as well, because uh, the common phrase is, well, writing is editing, and the idea is good writing is completely created or mostly created in the editing process, not in the actual writing process. But anyway, songwritertheory.com slash lyric checklist. Grab that, my free gift to you. The link, as always, will be in the show notes or description or whatever it's called in your lyric or in your lyric in your podcast app of choice. So the first powerful literary concept I want to talk about is subtext. And that's because, especially in today's world, it feels like subtext has been totally lost in favor of treating the consumers of any type of allegedly creative product like they're stupid. Specifically, movies and TV shows now seem to be completely unwilling to trust the watchers of their shows to understand without hitting them over the head with it and spelling it out for them. So they treat us like idiots, which is one of the many reasons why almost everything coming out right now in Hollywood is just garbage. But anyway, what is subtext? Subtext is unspoken or the non-obvious meaning of something. So something that's not explicitly said, uh, but often is sort of shown. You can see this as, as sort of one part of the show don't tell rule in writing, where you're not supposed to you know, tell people how great your dog is. You should show them how great it is by telling a story about it rather than just saying, oh, my dog's great. That's telling, right? I'm telling you my dog is great. But I can show you that my dog is great by telling a story about my dog that exemplifies why he's actually great. Um, Famously, Ernest Hemingway came up with what's called the iceberg theory. And the idea of this is if you know anything about icebergs, the vast majority of an iceberg you can't see, it's underwater. So you, you probably heard the phrase like tip of the iceberg, right? Really what you see above the surface is just the tip of the iceberg. The iceberg is way bigger underneath than it is uh, on the surface of the water. So this idea from Hemingway was really that in all writing, what is actually said, what is actually written is that top of the iceberg, what you see above the water, but with great subtext, what you're getting is the whole iceberg that's beneath the water. So there's a lot more to explore, and with good writing, you can communicate so much more—the whole iceberg—simply uh, by actually writing the top of the iceberg. And if you do it right, uh, then you're getting some deep, meaningful writing that is coming from subtext and. I think a part of the reason that more deep and meaningful writing comes from subtext is because often humans operate and communicate largely in the subtext. Just as maybe a, a silly example of what subtext could be, if I'm playing volleyball with my wife and the ball is sort of going towards her, and but it's I'm close enough to it too, but it clearly is her ball, and I step in and take the shot, and then she glares at me, there would be a lot of subtext to that, Right part of the subtext is that I didn't trust her to get the ball, right? Which by the way is not true. My wife's very good at sports and volleyball, but just as an example. So the subtext from my angle, right, is that I didn't trust her to get the ball. So I kind of stole the ball from her. And then the subtext from her when she glares at me is I could have gotten that. You should trust me to get the ball more. I'm pretty good at volleyball. Why do you doubt me, (laughs) right? That's the subtext. But all that, say in a movie, could be and should be communicated just by, I get the ball, she glares at me. right? In modern movies, she would probably take me aside and go on some rant about how she's a totally capable person, blah, 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 and hit me over the head with it almost literally because, well, modern movies don't trust people to be intelligent at all and treat us all like we're stupid. Uh, I promise I won't just rant about that this whole podcast, but it does bother me a lot in case you can't tell. Um, but other examples of subtext in real life is let's say you turn in your paper to your teacher, uh, back when you were in school, or maybe you are still in school and the teacher sort of, you know, looks through it and then says, are you sure you want to turn this in already? The subtext there is, Hey, this isn't due for another week. And this doesn't look like it's ready to be graded. Maybe you should take more time and make it better or longer or whatever it might be. That's the subtext, right? Or if I ask somebody, hey, do you want a piece of gum? <laughs> that can be subtext for your breath stinks. You need a piece of gum. Or, you know, if if my wife says to me, hey, maybe we should get salads this time. That's maybe subtext that we need to eat healthier or or perhaps that uh, <laughs> I need to work out more, you know, whatever. Uh, again, not a real story. Just not a real story. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's sort of what subtext is at a high level. Um, let me give you some examples of subtext in lyrics, though. And I'm just going to use my own song for this because, frankly, I couldn't think of a song uh, that employed this off the top of my head uh, outside of one that I've worked on fairly recently. So here it is. Um, in one section of the song called "Bus Stop." It has the following lyrics. You can see it, a picture gray and worn, and the faces faded out. You remember the moment with a smile, but you can't remember why. So the subtext is that the picture is probably of loved ones, right? You can see it, a picture gray and worn, and the faces faded out. You remember the moment with a smile, but you can't remember why. Uh, You're not gonna remember a moment that doesn't involve loved ones with a smile, probably. Uh, And also the subtext is that the pictures are old, right? A picture gray and worn, and the faces faded out. A part of the subtext there is this is an old picture. This isn't one that was taken last week. This isn't recent. And there's also further subtext that he remembers enough to remember the moment with a smile, but he doesn't remember why, right? And then connecting that with the faces faded out, uh, it's sort of all coming together to show some level of he knows this is a fond memory, but he can't quite remember the actual memory Outside of that this was a good moment. And then the song goes on in the chorus to say, You say I'm going home to those I need to see. I can't recall their names, but I know they wait for me. I hear this is a bus stop to where I need to go. I need to take this journey to someplace that I know. So in context of the song, just, just for a little background, apparently it's common in Alzheimer's centers to have fake bus stops because a lot of times people in a in a like a nursing home that specializes in Alzheimer's they often want to run away because they they want to go home even though they might not remember home and the way that they can make it so that they can bring them back right so they don't just wander into the forest and get lost which would be a really bad day instead they create a, a fake bus stop because then they will have a single place where they know anybody who's trying to run away. They're just going to go sit at this fake bus stop. No real bus is going to come and take them away, but we get an opportunity to go out and sort of convince them to come back in. So that's a real thing um, that, that at least some of them utilize. And in the context of this song, first of all, some of the subtext is that he has Alzheimer's, right? <laughs> just by the, the memories thing. But, but, More than that, in this section, when he says, I'm going home to those I need to see, I can't recall their names, but I know they wait for me. I hear this is a bus stop to where I need to go. I need to take this journey to someplace that I know. The subtext of this is, yes, he's sitting at a literal fake bus stop, uh, but he probably thinks it's a real bus stop. But the subtext is really that he's referring to going home to heaven, right? That that the people he knew are probably passed away, right? The, you see it, the picture gray and worn and the face is faded out. So the, the whole subtext is that, yeah, on one level, he's talking about the literal bus stop that he's sitting at, which is a fake one. Uh, but really the subtext is that he's talking about life in general and that he's he's ready to go. Uh, for another example uh, from a, another song called Here Until You Leave, Uh I've mentioned this in podcasts before. I think I've mentioned both of these, but we're learning something different from them this time. It says, you won't pull your steadfast gaze from the sunset, but I'll never release my faithful gaze from you. I'm here until you leave. So the subtext here is you're looking for something else, right? You won't pull your steadfast gaze from the sunset, but I'll never release my faithful gaze from you. We're not just talking about a sunset here, right? It's not like, oh no, this girl's obsessed with sunsets. This is so horrible. That's not what we're talking about. Right, What we're saying is you're looking for something else. You're looking for something more, but all I want is you, right? I, I'll never release my faithful gaze from you. And then I'm here until you leave. The subtext of that is I'm gonna be here until the day that you inevitably leave, right? I'm saying, look, I'm projecting out. I know that you're gonna someday not choose forever, but I'm gonna choose forever. So I'm gonna be here until it's you who ends up leaving. So those are some examples in the context of lyrics uh, as to how you can use subtext, right? It's, it's it's the deeper meaning of things that isn't said, but is shown. It's not said explicitly. And it it adds meaning because, well, that's a lot of times how humans communicate, as I talked about with the volleyball example, uh, or the piece of gum, or the teacher looking at your paper. But also, it allows you to say way more than you actually have room for in the words, uh, to, to talk about the volleyball example again, right? In, in the context of, say, a movie, let's say it's a movie in this case, or even a book, all I would have to say is that she glared at me, and you got all the subtextual knowledge about, I don't trust her to be able to get the ball, and she thinks that she's perfectly capable and resents the fact that I don't trust her enough to get the ball. And this is silly, right? It's just volleyball. But in a movie, you could show that with a quick glare. But also in a movie, you could, and this would be garbage and terrible, but it's probably how a movie these days would do it. They would have a whole scene where she takes me aside and lectures me for three minutes about how she's strong and capable, and she she's perfectly good at volleyball and doesn't need me to help and blah, 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 blah. Right? But that doesn't need to be all said. In fact, that kind of ruins the point, partially because a lot of times pe- people don't work that way, right? And it's not really a big enough deal to justify a three-minute lecture. But it does kind of justify the the little glare of like, hey, you know I'm good at volleyball. Why would you do this? So uh, also also when you think efficiency, right? If you take a five-minute scene for her to chew me out, first of all, you probably are like, dude, she already glared at him. I, I got it. I got, I got the point. Now you're just beating me over the head with it. And also you wasted five minutes of screen time for something that I already knew. The glare told me everything I need to know. You don't need to go on and on and on about it. Like, hey, get it? Are you like- because again, that's them assuming we're stupid. So instead of five minutes of screen time, it's five seconds, right? She just glares at me. And you basically got the same information. So it's way more efficient. You can tell way more of a story because now that those five minutes that you saved from the unnecessary lecture, uh, you could use for something else. Um, so that is subtext, which you could think of at a high level is just trusting your listener to not be an idiot. And... And in general, just trusting your listener to pay attention. And something I talked about probably in one of the first episodes, uh, I'm not sure how I feel about the wording of it, but I said something like, uh, don't be afraid to have brilliance and your lyrics lost on people. And the idea is, yeah, some people aren't going to catch things unless you hit them over the head with it for different reasons, right? Some people don't really pay attention to lyrics uh, some people are just more attuned to paying attention to things than others, right? Like m- maybe part of the reason that Hollywood continues making stuff that is just dumber and dumber and treats his audience like they're dumber and dumber is, I don't know, maybe now we're getting trained into actually needing the five-minute lecture instead of being able to read subtext because we're not used to it anymore because they've hit us over the head for so long. We're like, m- maybe there will be a world soon where like people actually won't get it unless you... Spell it out for them, uh, not necessarily because they're stupid, just because, you know, uh, at, at, at some point we're only as good as the world kind of requires of us. Uh, but but just in general, don't be afraid to have, yes, some people are going to miss it. Some people aren't going to get it, but that's okay. That's okay. If you're worried about writing something so that every single person who listens will understand every little point you're trying to make or every little subtle subtext They're not going to. You just have to accept that. Allow yourself to write things that are brilliant that is going to be lost on some people. That's okay. It's perfectly okay. Next, symbolism. This is a common one, but uh, sometimes I'm surprised at how many songs don't employ any symbolism at all. So what's symbolism? Symbolism is just something that represents something else within a certain context. I think this is something that, that... that is sometimes misunderstood. Is it true that there are some symbols that tend to be used to mean certain things over and over again, right? Like red meaning love or red meaning, you know, blood or death or something. Like that's recurring, right? And usually darkness is negative is negative and light is good, Um, but not always, right? It doesn't have to mean that. White could also mean death because people turn relatively, uh, you know, pale skinned when when they die because there's no blood running through their face anymore so we all get more pale when we die um so universal symbols don't really exist you can give a symbol its meaning within the context of your song so you know a wolf can be used symbolically to be like you know a wolf in sheep's clothing in that context the wolf is 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 a villain. It's talking about someone who pretends to be docile and 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 not dangerous, but actually is incredibly dangerous and has um, not good plans for the sheep. But but in another context, a wolf could symbolize something totally different, right? Wolves operate in packs. Uh, I I'm pretty sure that wolves are pretty good parents. Um, wolves are very protective of their own, right? They're, they're, they're in packs. They're not like say tigers, which are, are ironically lone wolves, (laughs) um, where, where tigers tend to live solitary lives, right? Unlike say a lion pride. So there's way more that you could do with the symbol of a wolf than simply the one that maybe has been most used, which is probably the sort of wolf in sheep's clothing, wolf from, from little red riding hood type angle. So you get to, in context of your song, give a symbol a certain meaning. And the value of symbolism that we've, I've said a lot, but I think is an, an, an important and simple way to remember why it's so powerful. We've all heard the phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So if you can paint a picture with a couple words... And then that picture that you painted with a couple words is worth a thousand words. Then your 202 word song essentially became a 1200 word song in terms of how much was communicated. Now, of course, the picture says a thousand words is probably to some extent overstated and honestly, in some ways, probably understated. Certain pictures can be worth way more than a thousand words. And then other pictures are probably worth way less looking at you, uh, abstract art. Um, unless those words are just condemnation of how meaningless and anyway, uh, my, my opinion on abstract art aside, um, but that, but that, that's the value of symbolism, right? You can say way more with fewer words with symbolism. So an example of symbolism in a song would be something like fast car by Tracy Chapman, where really the fast car represents It's not just a fast car, right? It's almost irrelevant that it's a fast car. What the fast car represents is freedom, right? The freedom to get away from your past, the freedom to make something of yourself no matter where you came from, and ultimately just freedom, right? That's what the fast car represents in that song. It's not just a fast car, right? It's it's not like, oh, they have a Camaro or, uh, you know... (laughs) They have a Tesla. Like, no, <laughs> that's not the point. The point is the freedom. Or famously, in Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, The Raven represents death or the the oncoming of death. Uh, the top in Inception, we'll pick on a more modern example. So the top in Inception is the totem that helps Cobb, the main character, Leonardo DiCaprio, distinguish himself from dreamer reality, right? We know that. But the underlying meaning of it as well is it belonged to his wife, Mal, who, you know, committed suicide. And therefore, it sort of represents his guilt and regret over her death because he blames himself for her death. So, in that final scene where he just spins the top and then he doesn't even watch to see if it falls, but he goes to see his kids, a, a part of the meaning of that is. Is just you know you know maybe he doesn't care whether a streamer reality anymore, but I think what really is probably intended, uh, or maybe is more more the important subtext because sometimes symbolism and subtext can have a a very uh, a tight relationship, is that he is leaving behind his guilt and regret over her death because he knows his kids are still there. And, and the best thing he can do is move on and try to be the best dad to his kids um, rather than, you know, they lost one parent, right? It would be worse if they lost two because, because he's totally consumed with this guilt and, and can't truly, you know, give himself to his kids. Um, and then other famous examples, The Ring in Lord of the Rings is sort of the corrupting allure of power um, and and then, you know, in, in songs, we can obviously do the same thing. We can have multiple symbols in songs, but often I think a great way to go is to actually have a central symbol to our song, which in the case of Fast Car, oftentimes will then also be the central idea of the song and will often then be the title of the song. Uh, example for this, I've talked about the song, I have Whispers of Angels, which I need to actually record the vocals for and release, but that's the story of my life. Um, In Whispers of Angels, the whole idea of the symbol is that everyone can have selfish motives and and also that we should be careful of taking for granted that, su- that someone close to us that should be looking out for what's best for us actually is. Because what the Whispers of Angels in that song represents is really these are... are in, in the real world, they represent three people, a certain individual's mother, sister, and best friend. You would assume that your mother, sister, and best friend all want what's best for you. Uh, you should be able to assume that, but that's not always going to be the case. Sometimes people have selfish mo- motives where all fallen. Sometimes they have a selfish reason for wanting something and don't actually have what's best for you in mind. So the whole song is sort of about challenging that. And the reason angels are used is angels is something that you assume, oh, an angel's on my side, right? Forgetting that demons are also fallen angels. So the whole idea of that symbol and whispers of angels is, is these whispers of angels essentially pull away uh, this this innocent girl to her sort of implied death. Um, because, you know, who, who wouldn't listen to whispers of angels? Who wouldn't trust angels? They're angels, right? in the same way that who wouldn't trust your mother and your best friend and your sister? Of course they have the best intentions always, right? Uh, Except they don't always. So that's what symbolism can get us, right? Pictures can be worth a thousand words and we can draw a picture with just a few words. Also symbols are something that's more easily attached to, right? You might not remember much from inception, but I bet you remember the top, Um, you know, If you remember anything from Tracy Chapman's fast car, it's the fast car. And probably not just because it's it's the title, but that certainly helps as well. Or Lord of the Rings, right? You don't forget the ring anytime soon. Uh, So symbols also are very powerful because we're very visual beings first and foremost. So if we have a visual representation of an idea, that tends to stick with us even more than just the idea itself. Third one, last one, an illusion. Not an illusion with an I, but allusion with an A, A A-L-L-U-S-I-O-N, which is essentially a reference to something that already exists and usually is already fleshed out. And the benefit of this is it allows you to gain a ton of context and information while actually saying very little. And if you notice a through line between all three of the things we're talking about, they're all things that increase your writing efficiency, right? Your symbol might be three words that paints a picture that's worth a thousand words. And the subtext is, you know, a single glare that tells a whole story. And an illusion gets you a ton of context and information while actually saying very, very little because it's referencing something that your listener already understands, which leads to maybe a rule or guideline for an illusion, which is usually you want to make allusions to things that your listeners are likely to understand. So this is why a ton of allusions that are utilized are to things like um, fairy tales or fables or the Bible where everybody, let's say in the Western world, implicitly understands the story of like David and Goliath, right? So if I say David and Goliath, you understand this whole subtext or this whole illusion and the story, right? I just said David and Goliath, but you are able to fill in the gaps. Or even if you say the garden, that might be an allusion to Eden, which again is a thing that we, we already understand that that's to be representative of a perfect earth that once was. Or the boy who cried wolf, right? We understand That whole idea, because that's from a fairy tale or fable, I forget, I think that's a a fable, I think, um, that that we just all understand, right? It's about someone who, you know, if if you constantly say, oh, oh, a wolf's going to get me, a wolf's got me, a wolf's got me, and it's never true. Eventually, somebody's – people are going to stop believing you, and then when a wolf actually does attack you, you're screwed because nobody believes you anymore. So just as a little practice for an illusion, if I say the wolf's dress – what do you think of? Probably your answer was uh, the wolf from Little Red Riding Hood, right? Because that's the a wolf that famously wears a dress. I believe it's specified that it's a dress. It's, it's grandma's clothes, right? Or if I told you the sword won't free from the stone, that probably gives you an image of, you know, the sword and the stone, King Arthur. Um, or the round table, right? The Knights of the Round Table. Or may, maybe I go... A, a little more subtle with uh, pigs are standing. If I said pigs are standing, uh, my wife actually, I, I did this ex- as an experiment on my wife. I asked her all these to see how many sh- she knew immediately. Uh, she actually said three little pigs, which I could actually see. Uh, but another one would be animal farm, right? Animal farm, famously a, a very important scene. Sorry if I'm spoiling a like hundred year old book for you. I don't think it's that old, probably 70, 80 years, but um Famously, at some point, the, the a pig stands up, which is sort of representative of the pig becoming man that they originally overthrew. Uh, now the pig is no different than man standing on two legs. Um, or if I say something like the allure of the ring, probably your mind goes to the ring which is from Lord of the Rings, which is about the allure of power. And again, you fill in this whole gap. And then the simpler ones, the lion, usually representing God or Jesus, most on the nose in, uh, in um, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, right, where Aslan is literally the lion and obviously is a, a representation of Jesus and God. Or what if I say the whale or a whale? Some things you might be thinking of is maybe Jonah, Jonah and the whale, or Moby Dick. But if I say a white whale, immediately, probably for most of us, hopefully, when you hear a white whale, your thought is of Moby Dick, uh, which is, you know, the white whale, that's, that's Moby Dick. And these are all, you know, stories that are well-established in culture, so that, you could assume for the most part that most of your listeners will understand. And I'm not saying that none of these were particularly lyrical, right? Maybe the allure of the ring is maybe the closest. But if you reference a white whale in your song, people probably can fill in the gaps with the white whale from Moby Dick and all that it represents. And you don't have to say anything more. They already understand it. If you talk about Eden, people understand implicitly what Eden represents, this this perfect world before sin entered it, before uh, you know, bef- before the c- corrupting power of humanity, if you will. We all understand implicitly, we might have slightly different ideas of it, but it's largely the same, right? Perfect, idealized world, Eden. But Eden is a way more efficient way to say it, and also tends to be a more lyrical way of saying it. So usually you you want your illusions to be things that are famous to whatever part of the world you're from, right? So so I mentioned the West because well I live in the West, I live in the United States, so I know what people in the West generally all are united in understanding. Right. And um so when it comes so certain fairy tales and fables and things like King Arthur, um Moby Dick, uh, you know, the Bible, things like that. If you're from a different part of the world where, you know, there are things where your core audience would understand, then you know go go for those things um but you also can make allusions to your other songs now the danger of this if you want to call it a danger is that this would likely be lost on anyone new to your music right they might just listen to your one song so if you're alluding to one of your other songs that does nothing for them they don't get it uh, but would but would add depth of understanding for your fans and and c- can really be a rewarding experience i think where where you are increasing the depth that your own fans get to take from your songs uh, at the slight cost of maybe it will go over the heads of people who are are new to your music. But it does give them more to discover as they theoretically dive into more of your music. You don't have to do that. Uh, but I do find that that can be particularly rewarding when you sort of have an allusion to one of your other songs, especially if it's not necessarily important that the listener understand it's an allusion to one of your other songs. uh, That's where it can be particularly powerful. Because you're giving something deeper for your fans to dive into and appreciate. But people who just are discovering your music, it's not going to be totally lost on them. Where it's like, that doesn't even make sense. That's probably the best. um, Just because if you rely too heavily on allusions to your own songs... Now anybody who's new to your music is just going to be super confused. Um, so for an example of an illusion in a song, I have a song called Fly Away. It says the chorus says, So fly away, angel, on your golden wings, as I lie here hopeless, as the siren sings. I cry here alone, another drop in the driving rain, 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 go away. Uh so first of all, rain, rain, go away is sort of an allusion to another song, right? But the siren, right? The siren is a is a famous thing from, I believe, the Odyssey or is it the Iliad? I can never remember, but uh, I'm sure you're yelling at me in your car or whatever, telling me I'm an idiot that I don't remember which one it's from. But anyway, it's from that. And, and from, I believe, Greek mythology uh, for the most part. And again, it's a symbol that probably most all of us understand, right? Sirens were these beautiful mermaid-type creatures uh, that were all women that lived on a certain island, and the idea of it is the siren song was so pull, pulled in a man so much that he could not help himself but go insane. To to he would do anything to go to where the song is, like immediately fall totally in love with the the siren that is singing. Uh, but ultimately, sirens would like kill and devour the the, the men who came. So. We all sort of understand that. So when I say, "As the siren sings," you have a whole bunch of things in your head already about what what that represents and what that means. If I just said, "As the bird sings," that means nothing, right? What? I mean, so fly away, angel on your golden wings, as I lie here hopeless. As the bird sings, I cry here alone, and like that, that means absolutely nothing. But when I say, "As the siren sings," I'm lying here hopeless. As the siren sings. That fills in a whole bunch of information. Uh and, and is has some elements of vagueness, right? Is it is it meant to be the sexual side of sirens necessarily? Is it is it not? Is that just sort of a, a byproduct? Either way, you know I'm helplessly drawn to this thing that's going to destroy me. That part is clear. But what specifically it is is left a little vague intentionally. But that would be an example of an illusion, because and uh, sirens is an already established thing with, with its own canon, if you will, just like the ring from Lord of the Rings or the white whale from Moby Dick. And therefore, with one word, I didn't have to explain a whole thing, and yet you, that chorus might have doubled in its like meaning from words. The amount of words I would have to fill in to talk about The idea of what the siren represents, that it means that I'm helplessly pulled towards it. I feel powerless over it. Ultimately, it's going to destroy me. Already, we're at like three more lines and way less interesting and less lyrical. And I am telling rather than showing, which is not good. I'm beating you over the head with it and sort of going back to another sort of recurring theme here when i say as the siren sings i'm not treating my listener like they're stupid i'm treating them like no you we most of us understand what a siren represents now it's possible that you're not really thinking and you're just like oh a siren like a a police siren okay sure that's possible but again that's that's the risk we take whenever we really whenever you try to write something that is deep and good it's going to be lost on some people just because you know they might not have some of the context uh, or, or you know, say the the pigs are standing example. Some people haven't read Animal Farm. Now, Animal Farm is a pretty established book in the West, I think. Uh, maybe not as much as his other book, 1984, but it's it's close. Uh, but that is one that, you know, I, I, I would know if I referenced pig standing. I, I know it's a risk that a lot of people are probably going to be like, not understand what that is. Some people might be like, is that Animal Farm? Is that not... Whereas some are, are probably a little more guaranteed. If I say the sword won't free from the stone, that that is almost everybody in the West is gonna understand that. Same with an allusion to Eden and probably a white whale is somewhere in between. Uh, most people probably know that, but some of you listening probably were like, huh, I should probably go read Moby Dick or I didn't know that. Um, because, well, <laughs> we do all have different experiences, had different things we read. Uh, but again, don't be afraid to have it lost on some people. There is nothing that everyone knows, right? I think, you know, Darth Vader is Anakin Skywalker. I think everyone knows that. I thought that everyone knows that. i, I probably told this story before uh, and then we'll close out the podcast. But uh, I was in computer science, so software development in college and had a computer science friend, right? So an engineer type, Uh, who was, I believe it was our sophomore year. So this is a approximately 20 year old software developer. So you would think of all people who are 100% guaranteed to have put together that Anakin Skywalker was going to become Darth Vader. We we decided he had never seen Star Wars. So we're like, oh, uh, well, we got to watch Star Wars with you. And we decided to watch starting from episode one. So we did one, two, three, four, five, six. Which to this day are the only Star Wars movies. Um, And at the end of episode three, I turned around and he was horrified because he had no idea that Anakin Skywalker was gonna fall and become Darth Vader. Now, immediately I was shocked, judged him a little bit, and also... Uh, was insanely jealous because I would have loved to be able to – if I could go back and experience the I am your father line and and that be a thing I didn't know already, I, I would love to re-experience that. And also I would love to experience ep- watching episode one, two, and three not knowing where it was leading. That would be a wonderful experience, but I can never have that. It's just I, I always knew going in. so. Um, So I was very jealous of him, but also it is shocking to me that somebody could get to 20 years old and not know that, especially if they could just put together like every feel like everybody knows that the main character of the original trilogy is Luke Skywalker. And and everybody knows the line. I am your father. And most people misquote it and say, Luke, I'm your father. And they know it's Darth Vader saying it to Luke Skywalker. So I thought that like, you know, Anakin Skywalker, like it would be, obvious, even if you just didn't know, which again, to me, even if you haven't watched Star Wars, I think most people know Darth Vader is Anakin Skywalker. And if I just ruined Star Wars for you, I'm so sorry, but man, it's been a while. So I, you know what? I, ta- I take it back. I'm not sorry. But anyway, I, I, I tell you that story just to say, look, as obvious as something may be to you, because to me, the idea that anybody who lives in the United States of America above the age of 10 Certainly above at the age of 20, not knowing like not knowing that Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader is is just I I can't even imagine, Um, but it's a real thing, right? So some of your things that you might try with symbolism or illusions or whatever might be lost on some people, no matter how much you think everyone knows that not everyone knows that and you have to be okay with it. So hopefully this was helpful. We talked about subtext, symbolism, and illusion—all things that will help you be more efficient in your writing, and also more deep in your writing, and trust your listeners to be intelligent, uh, which is always good because, well, insulting your listeners pro- probably probably not a, a great way to go. Uh, I say as I may have insulted you by talking about how I couldn't understand how somebody could possibly be 20 and not know Anakin Skywalker or Darth Vader, and probably at least one or two of you were like, uh, I didn't know that. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, I love you anyway. Thanks for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. Make sure to grab the lyric checklist if you haven't already, songwritertheory.com slash lyric checklist. That is at the core of all this. That is the overall process of lyric writing. These are just things on top to understand that adding subtext to your lyrics, adding symbolism to your lyrics or utilizing symbolism in your lyrics, utilizing some allusions to things, whether it be a siren or the ring or a lion or a white whale or a sword that just won't free from the stone or a sword that does free from the stone or something as simple as the garden or Eden, that all these things can add a tremendous amount of depth to your songs without getting overly wordy and while trusting your listeners to be able to think for themselves and figure out what you're going for. Hopefully it was helpful to you. But the lyric writing checklist is at the foundation of all this, because if you don't know how to ultimately write lyrics and the process of writing lyrics, then all this only goes so far. So songwritertheory.com slash lyric checklist. Thanks for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. I'll talk to you in the next one.